What is up, internets? Welcome to the Devil's Advocate for Self-Defense podcast, episode 57. Welcome back, everybody, to another new episode for the new year. Episode two of 2022 is right now. We have on the show for the first time somebody I feel like I know, but I've never talked to in like, at all. Like It's the first time of any kind of real-time communication, Nick Hughes. Nick, thank you for joining us on the show. I was just going to say, welcome. It's glad, <laughs> great to be here. So uh, just in case you are a fan of Nick and you have no idea who this yelling, yelly, chubby Canadian is, we got to go over the format of the show. So this is the devil's advocate for self-defense. The point of this show is to prove that people can have disagreements and still remain friends and that there's always going to be intelligent people on usually both sides of a topic. So the topic we picked today, we're going to take opposite sides of. We pick a topic ahead of time. The guest decides what side they want to debate. And then I, as always, as a devil's advocate, take the opposite side. I want you to know for the free debate, for this free part you're listening right now, we are going to be debating our side, not our thoughts and feelings. If you want to hear those things, that's on Final Thoughts on Patreon. That's five bucks a month. There is... 54 final thoughts on that thing, each about 50 to 20 minutes long. If you're looking for more content, you want to hear more from our guests, jump over there. We have a couple of quick rules on the show. Rule number one is we start as friends, we leave as friends. This is my first time talking to Nick. I'd hate the relationship to end here because of a little talk we had. <laughs> number two is there's 15 logic fallacies that I send ahead of time to the guest. If you are caught in a logic fallacy and you can't debate your way out of that fallacy, you have to take a page out of Mr. Rory Miller's book, Conflict Communication, take a deep breath, say, sorry, I, uh, I jumped into a logic fallacy, and then secede your turn to the other person, giving them an advantage. Now, a basic logic fallacy would be something like a... Um, appeal to expertise, right? So if I'm like, but I read a book once by a doctor, so I'm right. That, that's appeal to expertise. That stops the conversation. We don't like circular logic. We don't like straw men. We don't like red herrings. We want to stay on topic. So the 15 fallacies we chose were deliberately chosen to keep the convo going. There are more logic fallacies. Quit messaging me. There's more. I know there's more. We just picked 15 because I'm just a thug. I'm just a goon gone good. I can't remember everything that we have to do, but we want to keep the convo going. So with all of that said, Nick, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Okay. So for those who don't know, my name is Nick Hughes. I started my martial arts journey. I was born at a very early age. And I started my martial arts journey in the late 60s at the school judo club. And we also used to do jujitsu for the last 30 minutes, which was the traditional Japanese stuff, not BJJ, which didn't exist. I also uh, joined the wrestling club and the boxing club because we're all in the same hall. Uh, from there, it was Taekwondo. Then I got into this eclectic system that provided security for all the nightclubs across Australia and all the rock and roll bands. We still do that job around the world. Uh, left. Australia to become a bodyguard landed in Europe couldn't get a job as a bodyguard without having special forces experience so I joined the French Foreign Legion for five years I served in their parachute regiment and out in Africa in Djibouti I was a recon diver uh, left there and became a bodyguard and I've lived and worked in 21 countries so the problem with the style I devoted most of my time to in Australia was there it was didn't not exist outside of Australia. So I'm in Russia looking for somewhere to train. That system wasn't there. So I would go and train with whoever was available. 
so that has exposed me to, I've trained with Filipino martial artists, jujitsu, uh, boxing, wrestling. I competed professionally as a boxer. Uh, I've kickboxed uh, judo in England because it's a better art for bodyguarding. Uh, and Aikido over here because I wanted to teach law enforcement and that was the basis then of all defensive tactics. So I pretty much ended up with black belts in every single art you can get a black belt in. And then a lot of other stuff on the side, um, pressure point control tactics, sexual harassment, rape stuff. I ended up writing a book called How to Be Your Own Bodyguard, which is a collection of all of the things I learned protecting people. Uh, stuff like, you know, if you're caught in a riot and you wear contact lenses, tear gas will melt contact lenses. Uh, if you're caught in a ride and they're trying to break the windows of your car, your windows are actually stronger if they're down a quarter of an inch. So I had all that knowledge as a bodyguard and I'm bumping into civilians who had no clue and I thought they can't afford bodyguards. So I wrote that book. And then I eventually ended up teaching Krav Maga of all things because that's what the market wants. They want something fast and effective and they don't have the time anymore. Short attention spans, right? America's famous for it. They don't have the time anymore to devote their lives to studying a martial art, which is a lifelong journey. They just want quick and easy. So I give the market what the market wants. I teach crab now. Awesome. Uh, if you like, want to hear more about uh, Nick, we'll be jumping over to final thoughts later on. Uh, talk about this kind of stuff because I think that's super important. And that's a really cool journey. And this is one of the reasons, everybody, we do the start as friends, leave as friends. I don't want this guy pissed off at me. Jesus Christ. Did you hear his background? All right. So as we're going forward, uh, we have picked, we have chosen a topic ahead of time. The topic we've decided on is, are forms a functional training method? Is that correct? Yes. Awesome. What side of the debate are you taking? Oh, absolutely, that they're functional. So by the name of the show, I then take the devil's advocate side and I say, I'm going to say that no, forms are not functional for training. Now, I really want you to pay attention to the language we chose. This isn't necessarily going to be about purely self-defense. So it's about training in general. So how it works now is Nick has up to the first four minutes to set the debate up as he wishes. Nick, are you ready? I am. All right, let's do it. Go. Let me start very quickly by saying something I should have said earlier. I think it's attributed to Stephen Covey, but it's a great thing to remember. If two people agree on everything, one of those people is not necessary. So I don't want to sit in a think tank, right? Where, uh, sorry, what do they call it? An echo chamber where everybody's on my side. That's pointless. Debate is a wonderful thing. Agreed. Um, all right. So I think before we get into this, we have to set the terms by knowing what we're talking about when I say karate and what we're talking about when we talk about forms, because I realized this morning thinking about this, there are a lot of kids watching this, big fans of MMA that are 18 to 20 years of age, that's a big slice of the market, that weren't even around in 2000 when 9-11 happened. So their idea of karate is what we call McDojo style. They watched the eight-year-old kids doing jumping, spinning back kicks, running around with horrible technique, uh, the giant daycare centers that we're all familiar with. And they think that's karate. That would be wrong. Traditional karate survived a very important test, which is the test of time. Uh, winners came off battlefields teaching the people back home what they used to survive. The losers were dead on the battlefield with the crows pecking their eyeballs out. So if a technique was taught to someone later on, all right, we know it was a functional technique because the winner bought it back. The loser's technique was left out there on the battlefield. 
So real karate absolutely works. As my friend Gavin Mulholland says in England, what doesn't work? What, an elbow, a headbutt, a knee, a front kick, a roundhouse kick? What? Tell me a technique in karate that doesn't work. So that's karate, right? Real karate. And we can talk about that in another debate maybe one day, what it actually is, because it's nothing like what you kids think it is. All right. Secondly, what are forms? Okay. Again, most people look at a form. It's now degenerated into this triple back somersault, leaping through the air, kids with weapons that don't actually work, that weigh two pounds that have glitter in them and glow in the dark. And it's become, I mean, I'm not denigrating what they do as an athletic pursuit. It's amazing. And I couldn't do it in a million years, but it has zero functionality. All right. The real forms, again, the original forms, there was a purpose behind them, uh, which was it was a collection of techniques and we took them apart and practiced them. All right. And every technique in there was function. There was no backflipping and whipping weapons around that weigh two ounces because they look pretty. And that's where, again, I'm worried that an audience looks at those and goes, what's the guy talking about? All right. The real deal forms, real karate, not McDojo's and not what we see on the stage. Awesome. That makes total sense. So uh, I think we're going to, I'm going to hit this topic from the opposite side. Obviously, it's a whole deal of the show. Uh, my, my, the crux of my uh, argument or debate is going to be that forms, even traditional forms, even real true good forms, I think, while are they functional? Yes. But I think we have better ways to transmit that information now, thanks to technology, advanced training methods, and et cetera. So the way I look at a form is a form is like a book. It's like a book of the style, right? And unfortunately, the book is written in a language that most instructors don't understand. And we have to talk about instructors in general, not outliers like yourself, Nick, or whomever else. So we have to talk about people in general teaching this stuff. I think while the book is good, it's in a language that nobody gets. So they're, they know the mouth noises, but they don't know what the noises mean. So they're going through the motions, but they can't put them anywhere else. And a little hint to Nick on his YouTube or Instagram page, we talked about that a lot. Um, number two is a lot of the four, people used to make fun of like the names, like dragon coming down mountain and that kind of stuff. These were actually functional mnemonic devices to help people remember um, the form or the sequence are going through. That is unnecessary now that we have video and written word, and instant transmission and email. So I think you can, forms are functional, but it's like, so is a scythe in a field, but we have a tractor. You know what I mean? Nick. Good point. And I wish you hadn't <laughs> brought them up because they negate some of my arguments. But <laughs> the question in hand is, are they functional, mm -hmm. right? Not whether is there a better way that we can sure. do that. So yeah, yeah a scythe is still functional. There are still mm -hmm. some people that farm that way. Um, I would say this though, there's elements missing in your understanding of forms and most people's sure. understandings of forms. So I want to set the tone here a little bit really quickly. I am probably one of the rare few martial artists in the entire world that's had experience fighting multiple opponents on a regular basis, right? Every night for six to eight years. And the reason for that was our karate style that I mentioned earlier, we did security for all the nightclubs and they didn't want you to be a black belt until you'd actually gone and stood on a door somewhere. So they knew that all their instructors could do the stuff. And I, as just pure chance, ended up working at a strip club. And it was the only one in town and there was a big scandal 
this was all police corruption and ministers went to jail and politicians and you can look it up it was called the Fitzgerald Inquiry but the club I worked in was the only strip club in town now in a regular club when we bounce we control how many girls and how many guys are inside a lot of people don't know this but this is why clubs off now you know guys why the clubs have free cover charge for girls before seven o'clock we want more girls in the club than guys because that keeps the fights down if you have 10 girls and 50 boys, right, and alcohol, you're going to have fights all night long, all right? If you have 50 girls and 10 boys, the boys are all taken care of, no fights. So in the strip club, of course, the only girls are the ones on stage, and the audience was full of table loads of guys, because what happened, and I'm sure it's the same in Canada as it is around the world, when a guy is going to get married, the last night before he signs his life away, he goes out with a bunch of his buddies, so we would have rugby teams. We had guys from the shipyards. You had the entire car dealer team. You had all the boys from an office. We had military guys, all right, all coming into that club. So at any table, there would be a minimum of four and we would have as many as 80, all right, sitting at a table. Now, alcoholic content in beer in Australia is way more than it is here in the US. In fact, in Australia, we have a saying, and I hope I can swear, uh, what does making love in a canoe and American beer have in common, they're both fucking close to water. All right. A second point is Australians culturally like fighting. We grow up playing rugby, not the American football with helmets and pads, no pads, no helmets, um, punching, kicking, headbutting, gouging, ears getting torn off the whole thing, right? Anyone who's seen it knows what I'm talking about. So culturally, we like a scrap. You go out on a Friday night, it's not really a good night out unless you got in a fight. And so these guys, uh, by 11 o'clock, would now be hammered enough that they start getting stupid. We have topless waitresses, full nudity on stage, and the guys try and grope the girls when they bring the beer up. The girls give them one warning, then they come and tell us these guys have to go. As two of us, there's one guy manning the register, and two of us would go down and tell these guys, boys, you got to leave. And they look around and they go, well, there's 24 of us and two of you. How are you going to make that happen? And the fight would go. Mm -hmm. So I have a shit ton. We, now, we averaged three fights a night. We worked it out. When someone did the math. We averaged three fights a night, six nights a week for six years. It's over 2,000 fights, and almost all of them were multiples. So I got really good at this shit. Now, it culminates, I, and I know the BJJ guys and the MMA guys watching one-on-one -on -one stuff say, that's impossible. He's full of shit. Fortunately for me, and unfortunately, on the other hand, one night in London, I got into a fight with 21 people outside the Camden tube station and the entire fight the setup and everything was witnessed by constable ridley of the metropolitan police force police number 666 nicknamed the beast uh i've just found out that the met now has a freedom of information act and i am going to get that report but he watched the entire fight i hospitalized three or four of them nick uh, we're getting way off topic here we need to talk about forms so why right, are well, multiple opponents you're absolutely correct, yeah. but I'm bringing it back to that. Okay, all right. When, when we do a form properly, it yes. is not just the book that you talked about. Mm -hmm. Let's say we all had to read that book as a group yes. and finish reading the page at the same time. That changes what we're talking about. So when I'm doing a form with a group of people, again, look at a McDojo, they start and finish whenever the hell they want. Right. In a real karate school, we start together and at any point, if you've seen those Japanese girls in those karate uh, kata tournaments in Japan, they are precisely like a ballet troupe. They're absolutely synchronized the whole way. All right. And there is a purpose for that. 
How do I, standing in front of a group of guys behind me, and you'll see they're in triangle formation, how do I know when she's moving? Right. I have to listen, right? I've got to hear the feet on the mat. I have to hear the rustle of the clothing. I'm using my peripheral vision to pick up movement to make sure that that guy's starting to move. I need to move. Peripheral vision is massively useful when you're in a multiple situation. When I'm one-on-one, I don't need it. When I'm surrounded by a mob of people, I need, and peripheral vision can be developed. We can talk about that one. There was a CIA program with Filipino assassins. It's fascinating, but peripheral vision can be trained and Carter's one of the way we train it. All right. I can develop a sixth sense. You get a feeling between your shoulder blades when that guy's going. And so that formational training of a Carter is one of the things that develops those attributes. Nothing else does. Interesting. So that's a very interesting point. I love that. Um, and so you're, just to, to clarify what you're saying is that the the way the form is done it's done in a manner where you're working together so you're getting all the environmental cues as well you're not just yes. doing it in your own space very interesting and that's why you think it's exceptionally good for multiple opponents i'd yes. like to i'd like to jump it back to functional now we talk right. about the scythe versus the the thresher and when i say functional this is something that wasn't defined Functional to me, there's a there's a functional to time ratio that I think is super important with people. So um, looking at CrossFit, like CrossFit was functional movement. And just because they did a bunch of stuff shitty, people got good really quick at it, right? Uh, and they couldn't go to extreme levels. The same thing is with this is the the amount of, well, I think forms, maybe they have value. I can't say that here, but they don't, so they don't have value. Fuck them. But in this, when they do, if they do, the people that are using them don't have the time to train them, which then limits the functionality to the client's uptake and there are quicker methods to get the info into their heads. Good point again. Uh, but now I'm going to bring up something else okay. that is in that is tied uniquely into forms. Yes, please. And this one blew me away when I figured it out. Cool. I was re I'm, I try and keep, I read a book a week uh, minimum. Um, I try and keep up to date on the latest and greatest training methodologies. Good. And we have a thing now, every sports instructor in the world, every world-class athlete works on something called uh, visualization training. Yep. Right now, the Russians claimed, and, and the sports medicine guys claimed that the Russians came up with this in the 60s, and it was called, translated from the Russian, it was called imagery rehearsal. What they discovered was, what they claimed they discovered, was your subconscious mind can't differentiate between what is real and what is imagined, all right? And we know that's true because if anyone's ever had a nightmare or a bad dream, they wake up screaming, covered in sweat, mom comes running in, what's going on? We heard screaming and yelling, kids' heart rates going 200 beats a minute, and everyone realizes, oh, he just had a bad dream, right. all right? So as far as the subconscious mind is concerned, that was absolutely real and it manifested itself physically. So the Russians look at that and go, oh, so if we sit there and you watch the divers now and the skiboard guys, before they go off the platform, you'll see them in the background and they're going through the motions, right? They're running that reel in their head using that visualization process because when they go to do the event, the conscious mind turns off, the reflexive training mind turns on. Right. And the fact that they've now done that dive 6,000 times in their head on the way to the venue, right, means they didn't have to do 6,000 repetitions of the actual dive. Now, how else am I going to get a student to go out and practice? Like, I got to stand on a nightclub door and bash people all night long. 
that's, I can't do that anymore. And I can't do it in the most litigious country in the world. So how do I get the student to practice? All right, 6,000 punches to somebody in the head or 6,000 two guys grabbing me and I'm going to hit this guy. He can run his form through. All right. And if he's doing again, the form, if it's done correctly, and this is the difference, right? Urban called it coming out of the dance. When I watch these kids do them, they're dancing. That There's no, there's no nothing. There's no sense. This is a routine they learn to get their next belt. When my students are doing this, we're invoking, and this comes from neurolingual programming, for this training to be effective, we have to engage all of the senses. So I want them to not only see the bad guys surrounding them, I want them to hear what they're saying. I want them to smell them. I want them to taste the coppery taste of fear in your mouth, like you've sucked on an old penny. We get all that shit going. We'll turn the lights off. We'll have guys yelling out, screaming. And now you do the form. And then you sit there and immediately run that reel through in your head over and over. Now, every time I'm doing a form, that means, right, I am getting to practice subconsciously a real fight. I can't duplicate that any other way. And it's funny that boxers criticize him and boxers shadow box and the gun guys criticize him and they dry fire every day. What are you doing when you're dry firing? If you're doing it properly, if you're not just shooting a piece of paper to punch holes in it, right? Gun masturbation. If you are doing dry firing properly, you are assuming there's a bad guy in my house. He has a gun. He's standing there. I'm going to cut the pie, come out, pull the trigger and kill him. And I watch him die and I hear the sirens coming and I use the whole process. Forms. So when were forms developed? I don't even know. But I know there's pictures of them on the wall of the Shaolin Temple, right? Going back from when Bodhi Dharma went across the Himalayas and trained at the place. So they've got to be five, six hundred years old at least. So I think the Russians were beaten to the punch by this stuff, no pun intended. I could definitely agree with that. And the I'm upset, but excited about visualization because I agree. But the visualization, if you nailed both the points I wrote down, I was going to counter you with, which is the assumption. <laughs> They are the assumption of doing it correctly, right? Like visualizing an 800 pound deadlift does not mean you can 800 pound deadlift. Um, no. What about then though, the false sense of security people might get from the kata? So I understand the, you know what? Drop that, ignore that, disregard that from the record. I'm gonna, do something, I'm gonna say something different. I think the biggest problem with um, kata and form in general, at least pre-prescribed forms and why boxers make fun of it and why gun people make fun of it is the difference in thought process between predetermined and adaptive combination. So I think a lot of people, when they're doing their form, like this would never happen in a fight. So how am I actually, with the shadow boxing, you're doing adaptive combinations. The opponent is moving. It's a different thought process. So I think shadow boxing is a superior, more functional training method than pre-prescribed movement. Nick. Very true. And another good point by you, young man. Here's the <laughs> What you have to understand about the forms, and you mentioned it earlier, I'm glad you did that for me, is I actually say that I don't call them books. I call them DVDs. Oh, okay. So what happened back in the day, right? Various martial arts masters. So we all know about Miyamoto Masashi in Japan and how he was challenged. So his reputation preceded him, right? Greatest swordsman in Japan. So you wanted to take his, much like in the Wild West with the gun shooters, you wanted to take his title away from him. You had to go and fight him. And Masashi, after so many duels and winning them, said, you know what, I'm done. He started whacking people with wooden swords and then went and lived in a cave and wrote a book about it called The Book of Five Rings. So you get guys like that. What would happen is you'd hear this guy's reputation. Like, if you want to learn how to kick, you have to go and train with Master Ping, right? And you'd hike, you know, didn't climb on a plane and fly. You hiked months and months and months and you got to Master Ping's village. 
and you train with him, Master Ping could not give you a DVD and go here because you're not going to remember everything, right? So the aid memoir for the training was, here's my form that has all my kicks in it. And another thing that people don't understand about forms is each form is training you in a facet of fighting. So in Goju, my style, we have, Saiyanshin is actually based on grappling techniques. Uh, Earlier forms, Legekasai, the first one you learn is it translates to smash and destroy, right? It's designed to teach you to punch and kick because the fastest way to make a student dangerous is teach them to punch and kick. And that's what that form does. Later on, when the guy gets better, he's more in control and able to move in and tie someone up. So the higher rank forms have grappling. There is another form that teaches you how to effectively use body weight. There's another form that has a bunch of throws in it. So they were literally DVD collections to train you in aspects. And another thing that people forget, when we got the third down in our system, guess what we had to do? Free for free flow forms. So we can, to counter your argument, I hope beautifully, I'm going to liken this analogy to writing. Right. When we teach children to write, you go, look, you know, he should be doing his own handwriting because that's what a boxer is doing. Right. He's just free flowing and it's more functional. And that's how he's going to write anyway. So why not just have him try, try cursive? You've got a child, I heard you say. Yes. You did not teach her to write cursive by starting a rough writing cursive in her own handwriting style. That would be impossible. We start with linear and we teach them to print. And this is all over the world. They teach writing this way. Right. We teach linear first. Then we teach cursive and then our handwriting style develops. Yes. You look at the karate forms, and this is why I think Goju was so brilliant. From white to green belt, all the forms are linear, just like printing. From green belt up to third degree, they all now become like cursive. All the the fists open into open hand. The hard linear blocks now become circles. Right. And then we go beyond that. We now start creating and exploring our own forms. And that follows the pattern of teaching someone to write. So correctly done again, not what people are seeing with the backflips, correctly done forms follow what you're talking about. I, I, so I don't think writing is a good analogy and we're almost, we're almost out of time for the free show, but we have a whole final thoughts. Come join us over there. Um, <laughs> I want to say one more thing. You can close with your argument. And yep. I disagree with your premise because Writing is done with the need for the other person to understand what I'm doing. Fighting is not. So I have to do the following in order to do it. Secondly, in writing, they prefer you stay closer to the form and less to your freestyle where fighting is also the opposite. Well, it's not though. When I'm teaching the form, it's very critical that the person follows the exact blueprint. Right. Because if I allow my student to deviate just a little bit, and then he teaches his student and lets him deviate a little bit, and they let them, we go five generations from now, the form doesn't look anything like the original misinterpretation. And that's dangerous because I've shown on one of my clips on Instagram, if you put a full Nelson on like most people do, which is hands on the back of the neck, it does absolutely nothing. If I move my hands up four inches onto the top of the back of the head, now I have the leverage enough to break someone's neck. Mm-hmm. So that four inches, right, is absolutely critical. It's the same on anything, any choke, any punch. You are half an inch off. The where, the where the vulnerable points are on the body, they're the size of the bottom of a Red Bull can. If you're an inch off, you miss. So it's absolutely critical. And when you say, well, we write so the other person understands what I'm doing, I kick so the other guy understands what my kick does. Um, if it doesn't convey the message, right, he doesn't fall down with broken ribs. Right. This, so 
we're out of time. I have a bunch of things I want to say about that. We'll bump it over to the other thing. Uh, all right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this debate. This is number 57. We have 56. We have 55 more of these and an explainer show talking about the logic fallacies. Uh, if you like this, please like, share, subscribe. This is, I used to have an interview show. It did really well. It was great, but like, there's no need for it. Joe Saunders has managing violence. We're crushing it. This is a unique format on purpose. I want people to have discussion. So number one, Tell us who you think made good points, who won the debate. Put it in the comments below. I want to hear from you. Uh, number two, if you have a topic or a guest you want me to bring on the show, tell me. But remember, not all instructors want to play this game because they feel like they're getting quartered. And this is supposed to be a very fun show. It's supposed to be very lighthearted, very easy. But I want people to learn how to discuss stuff. Nick, why, oh, and so join us on Patreon, $5 level, Randy King Live. Nick, why don't you tell the people where they can find you? Uh, mate, they can get me on Instagram at Nick Hughes Krav, K-R-A-V. They can find me online at Warriors Krav Maga. I have an online training program at Warriors Krav Maga online. And my best-selling book is available. Hit number one on Amazon uh, is How to Be Your Own Bodyguard. Nice. And that website is h2bg.com. Awesome. I will be grabbing that book. I didn't know you had one, so I'll be grabbing it. Uh, that's what the promo is for. All right, everybody. Thank you again for listening to the show. I love doing it. Make sure you share and subscribe it so my attention keeps going in this direction because this is a business and I need to go where the attention is going. Like Nick said, right? He teaches crawl because that's what the market wants. If the market doesn't want this, then we don't do this anymore, but it's super fun. Uh, I think that's all I want to talk about. So we'll see you next week for another debate. We don't have the guest booked yet but it might be Dag from Fighters Mindset. We might be taking a religious angle on it because Dag was in like a, I don't want to say a cult, but he was in a pretty interesting area. So we'll be talking to him next week about some interesting stuff. So we are done here. Thank you so much. Like, share, subscribe, hit the button, blah, blah, blah. And we're going over to final thoughts.